I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Witches, this is episode 44 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Breen Garen, and today we're diving back into the history of witchcraft and witch trials, specifically the Salem witch trials. Remember how last episode I said it was another topic for another day? Today's that day. I'm going to speed run a few very quick announcements and then we're going to get right into it. As you probably already know, the newly revamped Willow Wings Witch Shop is open in its new home. Make sure you check out this month's featured products, which all have to do with luck and prosperity magic, as well as the first new merch drop, Lucky Day Powder. Sign up for the email list for monthly sneak peeks and discount codes at hexpositive.myshopify.com. For my Virginia witches, I'll be at the Haunted Witch Market at Diversity Richmond on Sherwood Avenue in Richmond, Virginia on Sunday, March 24th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. This is an evening market for all you nocturnal witches, and there will be all manner of spooky goodies on display. Everything ghostly, gothic, and gruesome, from haunted items to ritual supplies to creepy artwork and jewelry that's positively to die for. I'll be there with all of my usual merch, plus one or two things that you can't find in the shop just yet. Hmm, consider it a sneak peek. So remember that Sunday, March 24th at Diversity Richmond from 4 to 8 p.m. Hope to see you there. So, very quick announcements, just like I promised, and let's get into it. I'm pleased to be welcoming Annika Hilmo into the virtual studio with me this month. Annika is the writer and director of the forthcoming documentary, The Last Witch, which tells the story of some very determined Massachusetts middle schoolers and their campaign to secure exoneration for the last unpardoned victim of the Salem witch trials, Elizabeth Johnson Jr. It's a very poignant story that starts with a school project and rapidly evolves into an exploration of what happens when historical wounds are left unmended and how the communal problem of bullying through gossip and rumor mongering affects us just as much today as it did in Salem over 300 years ago. Let's listen to the trailer. I'm going to look at the past, the present, and the future. Were there witches in 1692, and are there witches now? <laughs> oh, ask some of the kids. No. Maybe. We don't think witches exist. There's a lot we don't know, so. And I don't know if any of witches back then were as open as me about this, so. I think that there might have been, so if you think about it, everyone's a witch. So you're a witch? Yeah. So I study a religion. <laughs> Some might say I'm a witch. They have many names for me. 
witchcraft. You never know how that's going to be taken because it can be a landmine. Sixteen ninety-two, the world was a lot of uncertainty on many fronts at the time. They truly believed in the devil and witches and the harm they could bring. Massachusetts has a long history with witches. It's part of our DNA. Accusations started happening, and Elizabeth Johnson was one of those. She was bullied into doing nothing. She was female. She was not married. The only person who had never been exonerated. It takes some time to change history, but we can do it. I was asked if I'd like to bring a bill to the state legislature with my class. And you'd somehow be away. And then Addie would have just somehow survived. It's a matter of justice for me whether it's in 1692 or present day, how people are treated matters. Welcome, Senator DiZoglio. So pieces of legislation like this were put on the back burner, and they need to be brought to the forefront. There's a lot more acceptance for people in their differences now than back then. Great. You're also making some movement for the generation now. You're going to be investigating this graveyard. There's very many parallels in the world of could this happen again today. I hope there's a time that comes that race, sexuality, or religion is thought to be laughable in terms of being an issue. Are we going to see it? I think it's going to take more time. So this evening, I am here in the virtual studio with the wonderful, wonderful Annika, who is going to be sharing with us about this very exciting upcoming documentary, The Last Witch. Annika, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, please tell the lovely listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me, Bree. So I am a documentarian, that's what we call it. I'm a filmmaker and um, started out in academia and ended up moving over to tell stories using movies instead. This, this particular film came to me because I was gonna write a script and this happened just before the pandemic. I, I came across a story about the Salem witch trials and I thought I was gonna write a narrative script using original sources. So I was doing a lot of research. And then sometime during the fall of 2021, I came across an article that compelled me to say, oh my gosh, this has to be a documentary. And this was the story of Carrie LaPierre, a middle school teacher in North Andover, Massachusetts, and her civics class, eighth graders, who were working to exonerate the last of the convicted, supposedly witches from the Salem witch trials. Everyone else had been exonerated over the years, but Elizabeth Johnson Jr. still stood convicted as a witch, guilty as charged in Massachusetts, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And this was 330 something years after the actual trials back in 1692. 
So I thought this is a story that I just have to follow. So I contacted Carrie. I also contacted Senator Diana DiZoglio, who was the uh, the senator in the, uh, the legislature who supported the bill and who had taken it as far as she could. So we talked and they were on board. So we and we became friends through this. They're amazing, amazing women, as you can imagine. We went out to film initially in, I think it was April or May of 2022. And this was before the bill had passed to exonerate Elizabeth. So when we filmed, the students were still working to clear her name. And we filmed them in the classroom. We filled them on a field trip in a cemetery where they got to realize that people who were convicted of witchcraft in 1692 were not buried with their families. And this was something that hit home. It made Elizabeth a real person. Oftentimes when we look back at the witch trials and things that happened historically, it's like they're fairy tale characters, but they're not. They are real living, breathing human beings. And it brought it home for the students at that point. So we filmed them in the cemetery. We filmed several people who are historians and other experts, some of the descendants. We filmed a local witch and um, a couple of other people. So it was pretty, I consider it to be magical. It was incredible to be at that cemetery where so many of the people who lived and were part of the trials were buried. And to have that experience just spurred me on to want to do this documentary even more. So from there, we followed the case, which went to, it was actually put out to study for a while, which means that it wasn't going to go anywhere. It went to committee and was put out to study, which is, as one of the students said, it's the purgatory. It's the cemetery of bills. Nothing is going to happen. So, but the fact that we came to town with a documentary brought Senator DeSoglio into the classroom and all of a sudden there was attention. And because there was attention, they were able to debate whether or not to attach it to the, the state budget as an amendment. It passed. Um, it was interesting because it passed as, an, as that they were going to add it as an amendment first, but she wasn't cleared yet. At the same time, media around the world, literally every single continent, except maybe Antarctis, although I think that probably was there as well, uh, but they picked up on this story and spread the word that Elizabeth had already been exonerated two months before she actually was. So this is very, this is interesting. I'll get back to this point in just a little bit. But um, as far as the story, it continued then to be attached as an amendment to the state budget for Governor Baker to sign off in order for Elizabeth to be cleared. So it took several more layers compared to what we had expected. Uh, it was faster than we'd expected, but that was probably also because there was a little bit of pressure with a documentary in town. Uh, and uh, so we continued to follow the story from there because once we got to that point, we started to realize that this was, this is a big, big story when it comes to it. So we did a bit more digging and learned more about the case. And one of the things that we discovered was that the civics class actually came out of a bill that was passed in Massachusetts in 2018, I believe. And this was a bipartisan bill. Uh, it passed unilaterally to say that students in the eighth grade needed to have a civics class because people didn't know how to vote. 
and because they were subject to too many fake news. Again, like I said, all those remember all that media that spread the world word around the world. And so, <laughs> right, it's crazy. And so from from that point, we realized initially we were going to do a short film, but now we realized we have a feature film. We have a long film, a bigger project. So we continued to follow, and then last year, I was going to say this year, but we're 2024 now. We're not 2023 anymore. 2023, we went out, we filmed in Massachusetts two more times. We followed up with the students in May to learn more about them and where they are now and the impact of the working on the project on them. And then we filmed again in October because we wanted to make sure that we not only caught a little bit more with uh, Carrie, the teacher, but we also wanted to capture Halloween in Salem because it's such a unique thing in this town that's almost got 180 now. It used to be no witches, and now there are a <laughs> lot of witches in Salem. Oh, they're they're running the place. And you're right. Halloween in Salem is, for lack of a better word, it's iconic. I mean, it's yeah. it is a destination for so many people, uh, lovers of Halloween and witchcraft alike. Uh, so that must have been really exciting. It was very exciting. And uh, somehow lots of pieces that were falling into place at the same time filming uh, what was going on there, but also seeing sort of Halloween and the contrast between Halloween and the history, because it's right side by side when you're there. Uh, seeing how Salem has in some ways turned things around and in some ways how the Salem witch trials still cast a shadow over the city. So it's really interesting to see how a place that has been dealing with so much pain and hurt is dealing with healing and forgiveness and where some of those challenges might be. And, um, what some of the lessons are that I think we have to learn from both the past and the present. So it was an incredible, incredible experience to be there during that time and to film. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, just uh, bringing it back so we can uh, discuss a few more things in depth. So this started as a middle school civics project, an eighth grade class. Um, what was the what was the genesis of this project? Was it just something that they were going to do as like a history lesson? And then what made the the teacher and or the students, I suppose, uh, decide to take this beyond uh, classroom research and try to affect the legislation? That's a very good question and a really important one because that civic that bill that was passed in 2018 requires eighth graders. And now we're thinking about students that are what about 12, 13 years old, maybe thereabouts, one or two 14 year olds, but they're fairly young. And they're all in that place where they're trying to figure out who am I, right? There's a whole identity crisis going on when you're that age, at least as far as I can remember. Uh, but can confirm. <laughs> you, you can confirm, right? It's like, who am I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, don't know me. I don't know my friends everybody's like crazy um, <laughs> who am I this week mm -hmm. yeah exactly who am I this week and who am I tomorrow and who was I yesterday oh my god that's so embarrassing so that's, that's being 13 and 14 in a nutshell <laughs> right so this group of students are now tasked with 
and this is law in Massachusetts, that they're tasked to do take on a civics project, which which is an applied civics project. So they have to research and make a case for something to change, more or less. And uh, these projects have turned out to be very different in terms of what they're asking for things to be changed. If you look great large at Massachusetts and probably other places as well where they've got similar classes. It's everything from allowing students to bring their cell phones and use their cell phones in class to, you know, we have to clean up a river or whatever it might be, you know, so many different things that really come under this banner. But for this class, Carrie was tasked with teaching civics for the first time after having taught history for years and years. And so very quickly, she had to turn around and come up with a curriculum, learn a new curriculum, develop a new curriculum, following the guidelines, but still come up with something new. So somebody brought uh, this project to her. I believe it was one of her colleagues at school that was volunteering at uh, one of the older buildings, the Parson Bernard uh, Museum. And she had come across, she in turn, I should say, she in turn had come across a story that was brought to her by Richard Height. Richard Height is a historian who lives in North Hampshire. Now, New Hampshire, sorry. So Richard Height lives in New Hampshire. Am I getting this right? I am I'm getting this right. Because he lives in New Hampshire, he can't file a, loss, a, a lawsuit or file a bill or even connect with the, let's see, because he lives in New Hampshire, he can't be the one to take the lead on a bill that's going to exonerate somebody that lives in Massachusetts that has to be filed by somebody who lives in the state of Massachusetts. So right. He, right. That he, makes right. sense. yeah, that makes sense, right? You can't just walk into somebody else's state and go, okay, I want to change everything. <laughs> yeah, that might be, no, that makes sense. But he's yeah. able to volunteer there because it's, it's fairly close between New Hampshire, where he lives, and North Andover. So he suggested to the woman who was volunteering that, well, you know, this could be a good civics project. And she took it on and brought it to Carrie to say, you know, what about your class? Could you look into this? And Carrie looked into it and she thought, yeah, sure. You know, this is going to be a, this is going to be fast and easy. It's no big deal. It's, it's obvious she was not guilty. And so, and everybody else has been exonerated. So why not her? So this could be a good learning opportunity for the students. And as she says in our interviews, she, she thought it was going to be very quick, but it ended up being a few years. <laughs> and when we started filming, it looked like it was going to be three or four years. So it is a state mandated, mandated requirement that the students learn how to do something like this through applied learning. And that's a that, great idea. Right? Like, really, that that's amazing. I mean, it, it, part and parcel, obviously, learning how... Uh, the government works, learning how like state and local legislator uh, legislature works, a, a great idea for for teaching young people because there is there is such a lack of understanding uh, in the country uh, in all age levels. I think um, just how government works, how laws get made, how things change, how much time that takes. And what kind of concentrated effort it takes to affect meaningful change. Um, 
And it's actually an excellent example uh, with with all the progression we're trying to make now with other uh, issues of of equality and justice and human rights and everything. And, uh, you know, looking at this this one person uh, trying to exonerate someone who's been gone for 300 years, who was very obviously innocent, and it took that long to get it done. It's it's very telling. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's also uh, just the project in general is a great way to connect young people with their communities um, because a lot of us uh, may feel very disconnected from the places where we live um, for many reasons. Uh, just because they're, and especially at that age, there's, there's such a sense of uh, focus on the self and one's peers and not really the wider world per se, just yet. There, there is more of an awareness now uh, than there has been in previous generations, of course, because of social media. Young people are so much more involved than they used to be, which is great. Uh, but just involving them locally, uh, I think, is, is super important because it's super important to know the history of the community where you are, uh, you know, what's actually going on in the place where you live. It's important to be educated on these things. Um, so hopefully, I think uh, other states might uh, take that lead and, uh, and start to include it in, in the curriculum for other young people. I think that would be great. Uh, but thankfully, you know, these kids in, uh, in Massachusetts seem to have made an excellent start with this project. Um, so they, they decided to take on Elizabeth Johnson Jr.'s cause. Right. And take that to the state legislature with the help of this uh, this volunteer. And later you said with with uh, a representative. With the state senator, Diana DiZoglio. So she because yes. she walk into the state house and go, here's my bill. I'm going to file it. You're going <laughs> to act on it. It doesn't quite right. work that way. You need to partner with somebody in the house. Yeah. And so uh, Diana DiZoglio stepped up and was so helpful to them and and also part of the learning process part of the teaching process it's this is what you got to do this is how you write a bill this is how you file a bill and this is what i'm doing with it now and so that partnership between teacher and state senator really made a big difference in this but you're right they learned a lot and i think this is mm -hmm. this is one of many reasons why this project speaks so much to me is because it's such a hyperpartisan age that we're living in right now and as several people point out that we've interviewed people don't talk to each other people are at each other's throats They're, there's bullying in every direction and People don't know, they don't understand how the legislature works, how it runs. These kids are probably more educated than many adults, to be honest. And <laughs> that's yeah, a problem. No, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, you know, people don't talk to each other. They don't have conversations. They don't question things. And they don't realize how much of a difference they can make. And to me, it's just here is this one teacher, somebody that ordinarily we don't think of a middle school teacher as being the one to stand up and say, let's correct something that's wrong at this level. If she can do it, if her students can do it, 
what is that saying about the rest of us? Yeah, and, and not necessarily in the sense of like, you know, why aren't we getting off our butts, but also, but more in the sense of, hey, we can actually have an impact. You know, you you do need assistance, you do need sponsorship, and there there is there is a, a, a difficulty level built into it. It does take a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of passion and it takes getting out there and talking to people and making those connections uh, in order to make things happen. Um, and it requires organization. It requires uh, knowing how things work, how things are put up. And like you said, you know, how to, uh, how to write a bill, how to get it sponsored, how to, uh, how to, where to, whom to uh, give these things um, in order to get things done. Um, you know, so many of us see uh, methods of, of making changes, you know, oh, write to your, your senator or your representative or, you know, uh, participate in, you know, in, in this protest or support this organization or, you know, such like, or, or signal boost this thing that's going on, make yourself aware of this thing that's going on. Um, and so many of us, I think, feel a little bit helpless in the face of, of everything that's going on in the world today. Um, we see, everything that's going on. We see so much hurt. We see so many problems and so many things that need correction. So many people that need help, so many issues that need resolution. And I, I think that we feel a bit helpless to know where we can affect meaningful change. Um, so it, it's, it's good to see that, uh, you know, there, there, there can be meaningful change affected, even if it's just for, you know, overturning this one thing. It's like, yes, these things are possible. These kids did it. Kids, literal children, they did this with the help of their teacher, with the help of their senator, with the help of uh, some, you know, very dedicated volunteers. And of course, a very wonderful, uh, passionate documentary film crew. Um, but it can happen. It can happen. It can be done um, as long as we educate ourselves, as long as we are passionate, as long as we're organized and dedicated and things find a way to happen. Um, and as long as enough people keep at it for long enough, it will happen. Just sometimes things take way longer than we think they will. And uh, in a lot of cases, way longer than they should, um, because there's a lot of meaningless opposition to things sometimes, uh, which I'm sure the kids ran into. Uh, I Not even, you know, knowing the half of what things happen at, at, at the, you know, state level of the legislature, I can only imagine um, there was a lot of, you know, why is this important? You know, why should we bother with this? Why should we make room for this? There's other things we need to do. Why does this even matter? It's like, no, it's important. Everyone else has been exonerated. Why not exonerate this one last person? You know, why, why stop there? Well, and, certainly, uh, it, it's uh, something that really goes beyond much of this. I mean, first of all, these kids, they learned that they can affect change. And mm -hmm. that's something that they're carrying with them. And they, they're walking away saying, we know how to do this and we can do this. But they also get 
how important it is to rectify a wrong. Yes. Even if it happened 330 years ago, because it's setting a precedent for the future. And this is, and they're understanding that in a way that more adults need to learn to understand that because it means that somebody can't be held liable for, as I would call it, criminal witchcraft. But a lot of people engage in witchcraft, various forms, but criminal witchcraft, that's a different thing. It's saying that we can't just push people aside and ostracize people. We can't push people aside and bully them. We can't bully people. We can't bully women. We can't bully well men also, for that matter. We can't just ride over people without reasonable due process. How we treat mm-hmm. people in the court system, how we treat people outside of the court system matters. It matters how we treat women. It matters how we treat people who are different. Elizabeth Johnson Jr. is known to have been a little bit different. We don't we can't diagnose retrospectively, but just reading through all the court documents, we can see many, many, many men- mental health issues pop up in different forms. It's people who have PTSD, it's people who are, are depressed. In Elizabeth's case, she was called simplish. And the question is what that means, probably somebody who was a little bit different in some ways. You know, all of those things, they matter. And what overturning this says is that we're not going to stand for treating people that way anymore. We're not going to stand for witch hunts for the sake of witch hunts. They still happen all around the world. The term gets thrown up thrown about in ways that we can that's a whole other conversation but we're not going to stand for that and so this is really at the heart of it it's so deep that it goes into the question of democracy this happened before the u.s constitution it happened at a time when massachusetts didn't have proper legislature proper laws it was a vacuum at the time so the charter for massachusetts had had been withdrawn and they had to create something new from the ground up. The legal system in Massachusetts, believe it or not, but it it's still built in part on what happened in 1692. They had to build jails, they had to build court systems, they had to create something that wasn't there. And that spilled over into the US Constitution and what's happened in or what how the US looks in many ways since then. I think and I think other things that come as well, how we look at each other, how we treat each other, how we respect each other as men, women, people who are different in in various ways. So it does matter. We think these things that are historical don't matter, but it's it's the cliche. It'll keep repeating itself. If we don't do something about it, it's going to keep repeating itself. And that's probably the number one reason. Oh, yeah. And we see it happen all the time. We're seeing it happen now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wow, if, if I had a dime for every time that I've told someone, listen, history is about to repeat itself. You're going to watch it happen if something isn't done about it. And then it happens. And it's like, what did I say? You know, <laughs> I, 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 it's, I, I have I have lived long enough perhaps in the grand scheme of things, 40 years isn't a terrible long time, but you know, I have now lived through that millennial changeover. um, And, you know, I, I, I've seen enough to know that in my lifetime, 
history has repeated itself multiple times. I've seen it happen. I've watched it happen. And it doesn't have to be stuff from, you know, hundreds of years ago. It's like this stuff happens on a regular basis because, you know, people don't learn about history. They don't, you know, take the lessons of history to heart. Um, and you're absolutely right. One of those, uh, one of those big repeated issues is how we treat people that we view as different, that we view as other, and how we treat people who are socially ostracized, how we treat people um, with, uh, with physical disabilities, with mental health issues, um, with chronic illness, uh, you know, people who have, uh, you know, different backgrounds than us, people who have different faiths than us, anything that is different or outside our own experience, um, you know, the, the, this this concept of, of othering anything that is it is outside of you know what we've been raised with um, and and we we see that repeat with every school class we have to keep teaching kids about you know no really it is okay if people are different from you you know that's that's not a reason to treat someone poorly and uh, speaking as someone who is who is a, a big history buff and uh, it did, did a bit of diving into uh, the events in Salem uh, a couple of years back for a different project. Uh, I, I briefly was, uh, was studying the, the relationship between witchcraft and the belief in witchcraft and the legal system in, uh, in Western Europe and, of course, in America. And, of course, Salem is going to come up because it was such a landmark case. You know, like you said, Massachusetts was without a charter. They had the court of Oyer and Terminer, and things were just getting so out of hand. Um, I believe the governor of Massachusetts wasn't even there for half of it. And Correct. things only started to calm down when someone threatened to accuse his wife as right. an accessory to all of this. And then they finally went, whoa, 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 okay, let's, let's calm down now. But, you know, while it was people who were poor or unpopular or a little different or disenfranchised or just not well thought of by the community, um, they were fine with it. They were fine with putting people on trial, ruining their lives, sending them to prison sending them off to be executed for nothing other than neighborhood gossip and uh, spectral evidence, which uh, is something that is talked about in a number of uh, texts which inform the way that uh, maleficium, the, the, the use of witchcraft for evil, uh, was prosecuted in uh, secular courts up until that time. Um, and it is very much because of Salem, because it was something that was so far outside the norm and just so beyond the pale of, wait a minute, you convicted and executed how many people based solely on spectral evidence? No, 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 no. This has got to stop. This has got to change. So there is a distinct parallel there. Understand, I we just want to make sure that people understand what spectral evidence is, because there's a lot of confusion about that. But I think the oh, best yeah. way that it's yeah, it's the best way to describe it. I think it was Marilyn Roach who said it. it's like it's like your ghost, except yeah. that you're alive. 
So your mm-hmm. ghost, you've got a ghost. We've all had a spirit. We've all got a spirit and it's our ghost. It's our spirit that's off doing troubling things. And as several historians will say is that there wasn't confusion as to was, whether or not you had a specter, that if you had a ghost or a spirit, the question was whether or not you were in control of it mm-hmm. or whether it was the devil that was controlling your ghost. So, yep. and you, whether you had given your consent to the devil control, controlling the ghost. So exactly. it's something that to us, it seems strange in some ways, perhaps, but I also, I like to think of kind of looking back to the things that they were doing then and some of the things that we're doing now, some of the things that they were doing then and that we're doing now aren't that dissimilar. So if we just stop to think about, we've all got our superstitions. We've all got our little things that we do that might seem weird to somebody else. And today there is a huge population and I am included in that population. I would probably be considered a witch back in 1692. <laughs> and, right? I would probably be considered, I and I can take away probably, I would be considered to be a witch. I'm well, in- I mean, we, we have a saying in the, in the witchcraft community today, if you wouldn't have been hanged in 1692, what are you even doing with your life? <laughs> right? You know, I mean... <laughs> But it wasn't just the people who people didn't identify as witches back then because the Mm -hmm. definition was so different, right? And I think that's also important to remember that then it was somebody who was consorting with a devil. The term witch has changed over histories and we've always had witches in some form or whatever label you want to put to it. But, you know, it's, it's changed. But many of those things that we're doing now would automatically have put us as being a little bit suspicious back in the day. And there were oh, things yeah. that we were doing that would be considered to be normal back then that are considered to be suspicious today, which is also really interesting. So things that, and now I'm speaking a little bit more from, let's call it like mainstream culture, right? Mm-hmm. But like the mainstream culture doesn't necessarily plan their lives according to the zodiac. Right. Right. <laughs> most, most, right. Most, but if we look back, if you've ever seen the almanac, like the, the farmer's almanac that has like, oh, yeah. right, exactly. They were using that back then as much as people are doing now. And in fact, even more because they didn't have modern tools to predict, predict uh, the weather. Right. And so oh, yeah. for one of those for the things. longest time, yeah, all of that was was part of medicine for mm-hmm. the longest time. A, a doctor wouldn't just diagnose you by your symptoms. They would draw up your whole birth chart uh, in order to uh, to make a diagnosis and also to prescribe a cure. Um, you could have an Aries and a Scorpio who both had the exact same, you know, affliction. And they would be diagnosed differently and prescribe different cures because of their natal chart. So yes, um, astrology was uh, was definitely considered, um, you know, it was a science back then because it was it was so tied up in uh, in, in seasonal changes, in medicine, in mathematics, in architecture. It, it was it was part of everything. Um, and it was part of astronomy, too. Astronomy and astrology were intertwined for a very long time. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. 
You can pick up copies of all my published works, plus homemade magical powders, spell kits, and charms for all occasions. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get 10% off your order. While you're there, make sure you sign up for the email list to receive monthly newsletters with announcements, featured items, merch drops, and special discount codes. Visit the shop at hexpositive.myshopify.com today, and happy witching! This episode is brought to you in part by Creations by Chaos Fae. If you're looking to give your witchcraft space a cozy cottage core feel, check out Creations by Chaos Fae for fine handmade quilted textiles and decorations. Right now, you can commission a custom piece through their shop, from altar cloths to tarot mats and lots more. Check out past projects and current creations at Creations by Chaos Fae on Tumblr, or visit their coffee shop to request a one-of-a-kind item you'll treasure for years to come. Commissions are only open through June 1st, so make sure you don't delay. If you feel daring and want to lean into the chaos, you can use code GOHOGWILD for 15% off your order. Some restrictions apply. See post linked in the show notes for details. Support small business and cozy up your craft with Creations by Chaos Fae. This episode is brought to you in part by Portland Buttonworks. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment? Well, fret no more. Portland Buttonworks is just what you need. Portland Buttonworks creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their new Design-O-Matic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items, or order in bulk for merchandise or big events. I've been getting buttons from Portland Button Works for years, and their quality is always top of the line. Ever wonder where the Hex Positive buttons came from? Well, now you know. And this month, in honor of their 10th anniversary, they're offering not one, but two discount codes. Enter buttons only for 20% off custom button orders or birthday 10 for 10% off any other merchandise. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the newly rebranded Spiral House Shop. A thoughtfully curated catalog of pre-made buttons, zines, books, comics, tarot cards, and other curiosities, Spiral House focuses on intersectionality, the personal as political, witchcraft, magic, and occult topics there's a good chance that they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Spiral House Shop at spiralhouseshop.com. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. Happy birthday, Portland Buttonworks! And now, back to the show. This is something else that people forget about in thinking kind of back on what things are now. And I think something that we've lost, it's really telling because there's one element that we take for granted today that they didn't have back then. Mm -hmm. Electricity. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Electricity. So today we're so used to having lights on. We know people flip a switch and it's on. Back then, everything was dark. 
indoor, mm -hmm. indoor, small windows, everything's dark indoors, cold in winter, you know, because it's all we're so used to electricity now that's taking care of us in all these different ways. But so indoors, you would have shadows on the walls cast by scant candlelight and just a few flames in the fireplace. We mm -hmm. don't realize what it's like to live in that kind of a world. Or the idea that when we're outside, that we really have to rely on all of our senses differently if we don't have street lights and if we don't have cars and vehicles and all that. We have to rely on our senses very differently. And I think that's too is something that kind of go, goes back and just thinking about, so what was life like then and what is life like now? I think there are <laughs> things that we have to, to learn from what was going on then. But I think overall, overall, I think this story is bringing that back to us to say, you know, what are some of the things that we can learn from the 1600s? What are some important things that we need to learn? And again, why is this so important today? It and kind of bringing back that a little bit, because the way that they functioned, the way that they were thinking about things was it was different. It was different. And not all of it was bad. Some of it was good. But a lot of it, I think we need to learn about the hysteria that so easily comes from people wanting to take in evil, in a way. People wanting to see the worst of the worst. People wanting to see what's happening when we see a trial we're watching trials on television today where do we stop thinking where does it become entertainment you know it's asking us questions like that that yeah. i think are so easily forgotten right uh, where mm -hmm. do we get our ideas from where's that inspiration coming from the uh, basis for the witch trials came from europe but it also it came from some of the people that had judged people in Europe and said that, you know, these witchcraft is a real thing. Let's get rid of all the witches. And I understand it to a certain extent. I mean, who wants to have evil and terrorists walking around in the streets? I, I'd rather not, you know, it's like, so that part of it, I can fully appreciate. But some of the, some of the things that they were talking about back then I keep thinking about Sir Matthew Hale as a really good example of somebody that I think people should be aware of his influence on the trials as somebody who had accused uh, people and convicted people uh, as a magistrate in England. People in Salem took some of his learnings, his writings, and created a basis for how they were going to deal with the witch trials in Salem. We also mm -hmm. saw the same person be named during the conversations around the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so Sir Matthew Hale's name popped up again. Whatever side you're on in some of these questions just goes back to what do you know and where can you learn what information do you need about a situation in order to make a good decision, assessment of what's going on that's going to work for you, that's going to work for society. So... Very I think much so, a yeah. lot of learning, right? Oh, yeah. And I think one of the other parallels we have between uh, the events in Salem Town and in Andover and, uh, you know, the surrounding area uh, back then is this climate of fear. 
Um, everybody was very scared all the time because, well, slightly different reasons, but uh, there was still this this feeling back then of everything is very finely balanced between, you know, being okay and being utter literal bloody chaos at a moment's notice and none of it is in our control. Um, you know, what we have now is this, you know, situation where politics are very fraught, where, you know, there's wars going on every other second, where, you know, all of these, you know, unprecedented historical events are happening just one after another. And can they stop for five seconds? <sighs> but, you know, back then it, life was very fraught because of, of different stuff, because things were much more precarious. Um, like you said, things were dark, literally, all the time, because they were relying on fire, on candle power. They had no electricity. They had no other light. Um, and that is something that, you know, darkness and shadow, just as an environment, I'm, I'm not saying like as a concept, but just as an environment, being in the dark a lot uh, gives a lot of scope to the imagination and when you're already in a situation where you are far from help, where you are far from uh, sometimes just even the assistance of your neighbors or any sort of uh, organized help force, whether it's, you know, the, the, the town guard or medical help or, or whatever, um, when the difference between, you know, surviving the winter and your family starving to death is whether you can bring in enough from your field to last the winter uh, and whether your livestock remains healthy, you know, a cow suddenly ceasing to give milk or, you know, keeling over and dying or a bunch of your crops dying suddenly feels very frightening it's not just oh darn my tomatoes didn't come in oh darn it the squirrels got something the deer got into the corn that that would have been devastating you know it, it was life or death for for all of this and even though you know salem town wasn't that far from civilization it was far enough in those days that you know things just took so much longer to get anywhere the climate was a lot harsher the winters were a lot colder and people died people died every day it was it was a thing that happened a splinter in your finger could be the end of you if it turned septic that's how precarious things were um so just everything meant more because everything was so much more important. And the the thing is with the mentality of the people living there, the Puritans at the time, they did not believe that anything, literally anything that happened ever was by accident. Everything was by design. And if it was not by the design of God, if it was not something that it that was positive and working for them, then it was literally the devil and his agents on earth trying to harm them, 
trying to physically harm them, trying to mentally harm them, trying to break their faith. So nothing was ever taken for granted for them. You know, we in modern times can just say, oh, a, a crop failure is a crop failure. You know, yes, it's terrible. That's awful. But these things happen for very natural reasons. But for Puritans, it was no. No, it was it was definitely the work of the devil. That storm was not an accident. Uh, you know, it hailed on my field and not that person's, not because of, you know, wind currents and such like, but because that person over there must have wished ill on my fields for some reason, because nothing is ever random. Nothing is ever an accident. Um, and so that leads to, of course, a lot of spite, a lot of gossip, a lot of finger pointing. And that all came to a head while they didn't have a charter. And because there was no real oversight, um, because there was no uh, legal oversight from the crown at the time or any local government, uh, things just got way out of hand. And if you look at the makeup of the uh the court of Oyer, of Oyer and Terminer and the judges that were on the panel, um, like you said of Matthew Hale, so many of them had experienced trying witches and trying witch trials in Europe. Um, and the 1600s are, are very famously known as sort of the, the century of witch trials. It was a big, big thing there for a while. They were dying down in Europe by the time we had Salem. Uh, but you had people like Matthew Hale, you had people like, you had people like William Stoughton, who is like, in my top five, for, you know, if I ever met this person from history in the afterlife, I would punch them right in the face. Uh, William Stoughton was someone who was very, very zealous about the persecution of witches. Uh, and his fervent belief was that in order for a person to even be accused, not even, you know, for them to, you know, have some sort of evidence associated with them, uh, whether it was that their, their spirit went a wandering or someone saw them in a dream or someone had spoken ill of them because of some disagreement, for them to even be accused of being a witch, they must be guilty because a godly person could never be accused. And it's, yeah, that sounds really, really backwards to us, but that's how things worked then. And he was so zealous in his pursuit that even after uh, things died down and the charter was reinstated and they started, you know, letting people out of the prisons and being like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing this. He kept trying to persecute people who had been accused and people who had been imprisoned until the day he died. Well, he didn't so, want to give up. And, <laughs> and and it's true too, that people were not cleared. They were pardoned. They were not cleared. And yeah. I, we need they still to had their property, you know, they, taken yeah. away. They still had their reputations ruined. And this their, last their lives were taken away. And not only that, not. but there are people who are still feeling that pain today. Mm -hmm. People haven't talked about it for many years. But I'm also, as you're talking, I'm also thinking about all the ways that we can actually, we can see the same phenomena today. And that I think is 
something that is so easy to forget. When we watch TV or we watch the movies or whatever, we see all of these stories that are Salem-based. And we see stories about witches and evil witches and this, that, and the other. They're usually evil. It's either they're completely evil or they're completely good. I don't think there are lots of witches that are sort of somewhere in between in the middle. It's like very <laughs> bifurcated. It's, like, but- it's so funny because you know 90% of the, the actual witches that exist now fall in that gray area. Yeah. Right? And it's like, they're just normal. You know? Because, surprise, we're human. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like, what is this? But I find it to be really fascinating. And at the, at the same time, kind of looking at how we can see the same kinds of hysteria going on today in so many places. Like what you were talking about before, that it, there's like this hysteria that's going on that people don't know how to deal with. They don't know how to handle it. We've got too many wars. We've got too many too many problems that we don't know how to handle. We've just come out of a pandemic here, just like they actually had in Massachusetts back then. They had smallpox and here it was COVID. Not that different in many ways. And it's impacted people. It's impacted families. It's impacted communities how we live our lives online that's impacting everybody talk about hysteria online i'm thinking about all the kids that are growing up and even people who are well into adulthood and unfortunately even beyond just well into adulthood sometimes are following influencers that will tell them what to do whether or not what they say is true or not you know for one example it's all of a sudden there's a story that takes off and there is a rumor about somebody and it spreads all over the internet and we get some poor child that is ostracized from ostracized from the community that they're in sometimes with devastating consequences it's right there we look at politics this year in the u.s look to be as horrific as it probably ever could be it's the way that people are disrespecting one another the way that people are spreading stories about one another the way that people are just being rude to each other, it, <laughs> to say the least. You know, we see that. We see around the world the devastation of not just one or two wars, but multiple wars, like you said. And we live in this world where people are afraid to, of talking to each other. They're afraid of getting to know each other. The fact that you could have a friend who is different from you in some ways just seems to be as far-fetched a thought now as it would have been in the 1600s. And I think that's something that these kids can teach us and that they are teaching us. It's like that we can have friends and connect with people who are different from us. And and we need to really step up and think about what are we doing? What are we doing as a society? If this is the world that we're creating and we're all creating it by participating in it and not doing anything different, Is this really the society that we want? Is this the world that we want? Yeah. And I mean, to your point, you know, plenty of, of, uh, of people of all ages now, you know, they, they see less that's strange about having people who are visually, shall we say, different from them. Um, but it's ideological differences. Um, it's a, a repeated uh, issue that we we talk about in online spaces and indeed in a lot of witchcraft spaces, uh, this idea that we need to better understand 
<clears throat> excuse me, we need to better understand the difference between someone who actually wants to do us harm and somebody who is just an imperfect ally. Because there's no such thing as somebody who's completely unproblematic. And there's no such thing as, you know, having someone in your life that you're going to completely agree with on every issue forever and ever. And that person is always going to be right and never make any mistakes and never have to make any changes in their thinking or retract something. And, you know, we're always just going to be completely right and unproblematic all the way from start to finish. And no, no, because growth is a process and things change and people change. And Can you imagine how boring that would be if you like <laughs> this. <laughs> oh, geez. And there, there is, you know, growth, like I said, growth is a process. It takes time. And, you know, I do think it's a lesson that we, we do need to take to heart that, you know, people are going to screw up. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to disappoint you. What's important to think about is perspective and also memory. Um, how much, how, how big of a mistake is it? How much does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? How long ago was it? And how, how much has that person changed since then? Because, you know, we have this whole business of, uh, you know, it's it's the the town gossips again, you know, well, we're going to bring up this thing this person did 10 years ago and condemn them for it, you know, because it's suddenly advantageous to do so. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, that, like you said, that goes all over the Internet in the blink of an eye because a lie travels around the world because before the truth can even get its pants on. And, you know, suddenly everyone is going, oh, that person's terrible for this thing they did a decade ago. And the person is like. I'm a completely different person now. I've addressed that. I have taken care of it. I've, I've completely changed since then. Who among us is the same person they were 10 years ago? I'm not even the same person I was five years ago. And <laughs> the person that I am five years from now is not going to be the same as, as the person I am today. And that's called growth and being human. And, you know, I, I think that we need to, you know, yes, we need to, address past wrongs we need to make reparations we need to affect meaningful change in ourselves in our communities and be like yeah okay these things are not all right and they need to be fixed and we need to make a concerted effort to do so on an ongoing basis um but we also need to go yeah at some point we have to cut off the receipt yeah. and you know be a little more forgiving of each other and ourselves and really kind of put things into perspective. I also think that we need to give ourselves and each other the opportunity to surprise us a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, but there are moments when we can really enjoy each other's company and sometimes reaching out to somebody who's a little bit different than you can be mm -hmm. the best way to really have some fun in a way that you were not expecting. You get to know something about another person. You get to know a lot about yourself. It doesn't, it's not going to change who you are as a person. It might, but it, in all likelihood, you're still going to be you. <laughs> like you're still going to be you, but it gives you an opportunity to 
discover something that mm -hmm. was not there before. The other day, I took a friend of mine out. There were three of us that went. So a friend of mine and I were going to go to uh, an art exhibit. And I invited another friend of mine who is older. And she brought her... Um, she brought her walker with her because that was the only way that she was going to get around. And at first I thought, you know, how is this going to work out? But she is such a powerhouse and so amazing. So she made, if she was just zooming around the entire place and she entertained us with stories about who she was and how she had lived her life at different time periods that was reflected in the art. Now, if I had not invited her, she's different from me because we're different eras. But if I had not invited her out, I would not have discovered all of these things and learned all these other things and gotten to the depth of the art. It's the same kind of experience that I think more people, I wish more people would take that on to say, who's a little bit different from me? Who can I reach out to and connect with? and enjoy their company. Really, that's the purpose. We're just going to enjoy each other's company and get away a little bit from the heaviness of everything that is around us. As soon as you turn on the news, it's just, it's if it bleeds, it leads. And it's still that way. It's always been that way. And we see everything about the wars and the analyses of the wars and how long is this gonna keep on going? I'm not saying to push that away. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be aware of it. But we also need to be aware that one of the ways, the best ways to overcome it is by friendships and having conversations with people and meeting each other where we're at. I think if we could do a little bit more of that, then the world would be a better place. And I really feel like of all the lessons that the students got, and there were many, 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 but that was one of the most important ones. It's how to stand up for and be with somebody who's different than you. Because they were able to connect with somebody that was older than them, not by much, but maybe about 10 years, but from 300 years ago. And they could see her as a human being with her faults and flaws. And, you know, they're talking about, well, she was oversharing and she brought her puppets, which she shouldn't have done that. And it's like all of these things, it's just magic. <laughs> but she shouldn't have done this. She didn't have done that. But, but empathizing and with through that, by being able to empathize with somebody from 300 years ago, they're able to empathize with people around them today that are struggling in some way. They're able to acknowledge their own struggles in some ways. And I think that there is a lot to be taken away from that. There's a joy in it that I find in going, oh, they're seeing, they're seeing that they can be there for somebody else. They're seeing that what they have to offer makes a difference. Like we said before, they're, 12, 13 year olds who don't know who they are one day to the next. And it's like, I'm weird. I'm quirky. And what I did yesterday is so embarrassing. And the world's going to know, you know, all of that. And they're seeing something that's bigger than that. I, I feel like we can all at one level relate to that. Oh my God, how did it, how could I, could have, would have, should have. So we're very, very good at that. But to take a beat and really go, well, yeah. I could have, would have, should have, and I can, will, and, you know, I shall, right? So I feel like that's something that is a really big takeaway from this story. It's so powerful and so inspiring what can be done and what we can do as human beings. We don't need to be stuck in the darkness. We can 
overcome the darkness if we choose to, you know? It's pretty powerful. Exactly. Yeah. I like what you said about, you know, Elizabeth Johnson being becoming a real person to these kids. And I, I think you are, you, you really hit the nail on the head is that is how we get past, you know, this, this, this fear, this divisiveness is we relate to each other on a human level. You know, we don't have to, you know, relate through a cause or, you know, a shared ideology or whatever. We can, we can just relate to each other on the basic level that we are all people and we are all sharing this human experience. And therefore, you know, we have rights. We have, you know, the right to be heard. We have the right to be treated fairly uh, and you know, we have the right to be safe and be happy in as much as we're able and uh, to not be treated like garbage, basically, uh, just for being a little weird, a little quirky, a little different for oversharing, for bringing our puppets to class um, or, or what have you. And I think that connection with people, like you said, that you might not otherwise uh, think to speak to. Uh, can be that illumination um, to to step outside of the the comfort zone of our upbringing, of our background, of our own experience, and to see from someone else's perspective. Uh, you know, to take to take that walk in their shoes, as the adage goes, um, can can be a life changing experience. Um, and I to form those bonds can, can be very meaningful. We're definitely seeing that with Carrie as well, Ms. LaPierre, our teacher, it, watching her form those bonds with Elizabeth too, a woman from so many years ago, but that they too share some commonalities, being single women without children, for starters, and how are single women without children being treated then and now? And in some ways better, but in some ways, not so much. It's sort of like there's a norm and if you don't fit the norm, you know, where you are, but also being very powerful and interestingly, very vocal women too. It's like I said, Elizabeth was oversharing and she's somebody that we don't know a lot about what happened, you know, what happened to her after the trials. We know that the trials weren't necessarily over, over, obviously they didn't finish until July 28th, 2022, when Elizabeth was exonerated, but there were no continued, um, continued trials the same way, but people lived under the skies of, you don't know, maybe so-and-so really is, or maybe some, she is, she is a witch after all, you know? So people were still, there was still a lot of whispering going on and you had a community where people had to sit, accuser and accused had to sit next to one another. There are some stories to say that people who were, well, we do know that people were convicted of uh, as witches, they couldn't own property, but we know that Elizabeth did own property. So there's lots of question marks. But what's interesting about Elizabeth's story is that after she's been quiet for so many years, it's like she keeps bugging Carrie in a way to say that, you know what, you got to take on this this project. And even though it gets put out to study and it's just going to go to the cemetery of bills, 
you got to keep going. There's something in there that, that Elizabeth just keeps on speaking up. She's got something to tell us that she wants us to listen to. And I think that is speaking up for other people. It me, She's saying, don't forget people who seem to be forgotten, people who are sitting by themselves or who are lonely in some, some ways, that we have a responsibility to each other to listen to that, do what's right, but also listen to and think about how we're taking care of each other. And that's the, the friendship that develops in this interesting way between sort of the ghost of Elizabeth in a way, or maybe it is her ghost. I don't know. We do have a student that talks to her um, who is a modern day witch. But it, it's really, it is that connection between Carrie, who is this logical being who's like, well, who am I to say whether there are witches and ghosts and things? And who's developed this connection with Elizabeth. The two of them, they become a formidable force in this, if you think about it, because Elizabeth, she is so convinced, convincing that she is going to be exonerated because, of course, she didn't do anything wrong. And Carrie has to take on that call to say, yeah, I'm going to stand up for you because if I don't stand up for you, what's going to happen to me? And that's a really important aspect of this. If we don't stand up for people in this way, what's going to happen to us? So it becomes mm -hmm. personal. Yeah, which is another thing that we, we keep having to remind people of. It's like, listen, just because it's not you today, you know, it's still the people who are your neighbors. It's still the people who, you know, go to school with you, who go to work with you, who live in your neighborhood, in your community. You know, if it's down the street today, tomorrow it might be knocking at your door and therefore it is your problem, whether you think it is or not. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very I, I honestly, uh, I honestly, as, as someone who believes very much that um, that parts of history are alive and well and still with us, I would not honestly be shocked if Elizabeth was kind of uh, in on some level, uh, perhaps tangentially aware of all this in as much as a spirit can be uh, and just kind of going, wow, finally someone's listening a sense a sense of relief um reading through her court transcript she's very much a vivacious young woman so she's definitely got a voice and um you know she's she seems to initially be enjoying the attention and then being fearful of the attention because it was it must have been terrifying to have been under those circumstances where people are falling apart in front of you and pointing fingers at you saying you're a witch and you know what happens to people who are accused as witches. I think mm -hmm. you're right that it can happen to any one of us. And yeah. this is what we tend to not want to pay attention to how quickly and how easily something like this could happen. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I do point to the little things that we do and the things that we carry with us the way that we dress sometimes and you might be dressing in one one way in one environment and then all of a sudden somebody looks at you kind of funny and goes well that's strange you didn't keep up with the fashion and who are you now <laughs> you know any, anything is possible or mm -hmm. you, you eat something weird that somebody 
thinks is, you know, why are you eating that? That was, you know, people shouldn't, shouldn't be eating whatever it is. It could, I mean, it could be any number of things that comes across mm -hmm. a strange to a large enough group of people that start to gossip about it. And then all of a sudden it takes off. There is a documentary out right now that I would recommend. And it's kind of in this vein too, in a strange way, but it's the 20 days in Mariupol. And it's it's about the fall of the city of Mariupol in the Ukraine after it was invaded by Russian troops and forces. It's um, a PBS documentary, I believe. But the point about it is that it showcases how quickly things can change for us. In 20 days, the city went from being vivacious and alive to being a shell of its former self. And if we think that couldn't happen to us, then we are mistaken. And that's the lesson of that film. And I think that's the lesson of the Salem witch trials as well, that if we think that it can't happen to us, we are mistaken. But I think that we have the power to say that we're gonna be on the lookout, we're gonna be vigilant, and we're gonna be caring about each other. And we're going to do everything that we can to avoid it because that is also in our power and our responsibility to step into that power. How do we want to live? What kind of community do we want to have? You know? Mm -hmm. So I so, think, yeah. I, th I think that's, that's really important. Claim that power. Part of claiming your own power is to claim the power of yourself in a community with other people. And mm -hmm. that's what we need to do. Yes. Well, this sounds really, really exciting. Um, I understand you guys are going back to Salem uh, in April 2024, and you're going to be doing some more filming. Um, what is the uh, what's the release schedule look like for The Last Witch? Well, I need a crystal ball for that, to be sure. <laughs> but I, I do know that we're filming two more times. Uh, we are right now we're in the process of piecing everything together so that we'll know exactly what we need to film the next time. And we're going back to film some more material uh, with Ms. LaPierre, with Carrie LaPierre, and also filming uh, some other experts that we still need to talk to to make sure that we have all the pieces that we need. We'll be filming uh, some artifacts. We'll be filming behind the scenes things that will be part of this, uh, the film as well. Then we'll finish piecing the majority of the story together and then we'll go back and film reenactments using the original court transcripts, which are still in existence. And anybody can go online and look for those and read them and should read them because it is really good learning. and insightful, powerful to, to see that. But so we're looking at um, doing two more rounds of filming and then piecing everything together for a 2025 release, uh, starting with film festivals. And then we'll see where people can see it from there on. But I would recommend anybody that's interested in the story, and I hope that's everyone, because it is a magical story to tell and to follow and all of that. But it's to to join us, really. It's to go to our website. I know you're going to provide some links and join, sign up for our newsletter. You're going to find out more about us that way. Follow our social media and amplify. Help us amplify this. That's one of the things that I can ask everyone to do because it's a story that impacts all of us. 
So come on over, join us and follow us. And that way you'll find out about release dates and everything as we get closer to having something going on. Mm-hmm. Plus you might be able to get in on some of the early snippets as well and secrets behind behind the scenes secrets about the storytelling too. Oh yeah. I've, I've been thoroughly enjoying uh, the, the updates on the website and the newsletter and through your, your Instagram. And uh, just so everybody knows it's the last witch film dot com is where you want to go and i believe you guys are also the last witch on instagram and we're the last witch film on just about everything so the last witch film is you'll find us you're not Mm -hmm. gonna miss us Oh yeah. Well, if if you go to the website, the the social media links are there. Uh, there's there's various videos and uh, previews and a wonderful trailer, uh, which you heard at the top of the episode on the YouTube channel. Uh, so there's there's plenty of material already to go through and uh, and learn about. So uh, if you can if you can help by you know throwing a few dollars at the project to help. Uh, with with filming costs and production costs wonderful if not just help with visibility and you know tell your friends tell your circle tell anyone you know who's interested in witchcraft or history or intersections thereof and if i know my listener base that is going to be most of you uh so yeah definitely check this out the last witch uh hopefully hitting a streaming service near you in 2025 (laughs) I think and thank you for for that shout out too. This is an independent film. So let me underscore that we're making this independently, which means that we are entirely reliant on people's contributions at this point. Uh, so and different levels will provide different perks and so on. But we are entirely funded by the community. It's a community driven story about the community for the community. So come on over, join us. <laughs> well, this sounds really incredible. And honestly, I cannot wait to see it. Annika, thank you so much for joining me this month. And uh, please give my regards to uh, your your partner in crime, Dawn, and uh, all of the wonderful people who are helping to, uh, to inform and produce this amazing, amazing film. I cannot wait to see it. And hopefully... Uh, we will see it very soon. Thank you. Looking forward to it. It's an incredible team, an incredible story. And yes, Don Green, my partner in crime, is my producer. And I could not do this without her. It takes a couple of witches to do this together. <laughs> exactly. All right. So everybody go follow The Last Witch on your socials. Keep an eye out for those release updates. And like I said, if you can spare a dollar, consider supporting the project. And if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy delving into the history of witch trials in general, you're going to want to check out episodes 20 and 21, uh, which I mentioned, where I traced a few hundred years worth of history on the relationship Uh, between witchcraft and the law, which turned out to be a much bigger undertaking than I expected. So that about does it for this month. 
As always, Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, where you can find shows ranging from tabletop RPG to true crime to <gasps> witchcraft, including our fabulous sibling show, BS Free Witchcraft. Make sure you check out the new forums and join us on Discord with show creators and fellow listeners. Please remember to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Support the show by joining my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month for early access to new episodes and bonus content. And of course, come and visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop in its new home on Shopify. Check out the Hex Positive merch there and on Redbubble. Watch my socials for forthcoming announcements about live events and new merch drops. And go check out The Last Witch. How amazing is this going to be? Until next time, I'm Brenda Garen, your local witch historian, reminding you to stay safe, wash your hands, and learn your history. Because all of these stories, even the uncomfortable ones, are important. Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. Visit brainagarin.wordpress.com for show notes, announcements, and upcoming events. You can also follow me at brainagarin on Instagram and Bree Landwalker on Tumblr. My books are available on Amazon and in the Willow Wings Witch Shop. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.